Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Micah, Old Testament prophet. Micah chapter 5. Matt, you're hooked. Matt, you're hooked. <laughs> Micah is a book on judgment and forgiveness. The Lord, the judge, will scatter his people because of their sin. But yet, as the shepherd king, he who has a covenant faithfulness will gather and protect and forgive them. As we get to chapter 5 of the book of Micah, we discover time of judgment. It was looming in Judah, the southern kingdom. It was right before Israel, the northern kingdom. In fact, here in chapter 5, in verse 5, we talk, Micah talks about Assyria coming to judge the people. He's already mentioned Babylon in chapter 4, verse 10. And he starts by warning the people and encouraging the people to get ready for this time of judgment. But in the middle of all of this, the prophet looks forward and said, there's going to be a king that's going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to be the one from old unto everlasting. Will you please stand in honor to God's word this morning? I want to read for you Micah chapter 5, beginning with verse 1 down through the first phrase of verse 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against you. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure from now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word as we take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for his honor and for his glory. And all God's people said, thank you, please be seated. A place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem's not really much of a place. Even today, it's almost indistinguishable among the many little towns in Israel. In fact, the only thing that really makes Bethlehem famous today is the Church of the Nativity, which was built to honor the, the birth of, of Christ. It's located on a ridge. 
a ridge that's about 2,500 feet above sea level, and you are well aware that Israel is right at sea level, so it overlooks the surrounding area. And it's about five or six miles southwest of Jerusalem. But there's really not much there. And you wonder, with all the grand locations in the world, all of the places that God could choose, why Bethlehem? Why this little seemingly insignificant town? Why would this be the place of the birth of God's Son? Well, over the next three weeks, we are going to look at this place called Bethlehem. This week, we are going to see that Bethlehem was indeed a town of pressure and power for the Roman government. Next week, we're going to see that Bethlehem was indeed a place of peace. And then the following week, we are going to see that Bethlehem was a place of promise. But Bethlehem, why there? Micah 5.2 is perhaps a verse that you are very familiar with. I'm going to have it on the screen. Would you read it with me this morning, please? Because it identifies the wonder of Bethlehem. Well, that's hard to see, isn't it? It looked good on my screen in my office. You look up here and I will read it. You can imagine, okay? We'll do it that way. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. You, Bethlehem. Now we need to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. So turn there, will you please? Luke, chapter 2. Because Luke gives to us Mary's perspective of the birth. Matthew gives to us Joseph's perspective because Matthew talks about the king. And the king was going to come from the line of Joseph, the seat of David, the throne upon which he would sit. Luke tells us about the perfect man. He was born of a woman, born under the law, born to redeem us that we might receive the adoption of us. The perfect man born through the Virgin Mary. And so Luke's gospel gives to us Mary's perspective of the birth of Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we read these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. King James taxed. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each one to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. O Bethlehem, although you're the least of the clans, from you is going to come a ruler. And that event took place as Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem 
And she brought forth her firstborn son. Bethlehem, as I said, was some five or six miles southwest of Jerusalem. Although on this map it's a significant star, really it is not much at all. In fact, it's identified as Ephratus. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephratus means fertile soil. And Ephratus was what identified this Bethlehem from other Bethlehems that are in Israel. Mary and Joseph came down from Nazareth in Galilee. A trip that was some 80 miles for them would have taken them probably five or six days to travel that distance. You remember that there weren't any sea stations along the way for them to stop and get something to refresh themselves. So they had to carry everything with them. Traditionally, we see Mary riding on a donkey, but the donkey was used to carry all of their provisions, everything that they needed for this five or six day journey, carried Mary, who was great with child. It's not easy for ladies who are great with child to to travel much. My wife has difficult pregnancies. And she is sick from day one to birth date one. And it was not unusual for us to be traveling. And she would say, Tom, pull over. And I knew she didn't mean wait till the next rest stop. And we'd pull over. And she'd get rid of her sickness for a little bit. And we'd travel on. Can you imagine Joseph and Mary from Nazareth in Galilee down to to Bethlehem. Now I have a picture of modern day Bethlehem. And it looks like it could be somewhat of a metropolis. But back in Jesus' day it was simply a dusty little village. Not much at all. For it to gain significance other than the fact It was the place of David who had been the king of Israel on whose throne the coming Messiah will someday sit. So let's talk about this place a little bit. Let's talk about this place called Bethlehem. As you look at this place, it was indeed a place of Pressure. Did you note here in Luke's gospel why they made that journey? There went out a decree. A decree from the Roman government. A decree from the occupying force. A decree from the nation that ruled over Israel. Now you will remember that God had promised his people a place. You'll remember that it was Joshua who led his people 
as they came from Egypt into the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But over the centuries, because of Israel's sin, God had judged his people. And Rome was now in control. The Roman government had started to rule Israel somewhere around 50 B.C. and would rule Israel until about 325 A.D. So there was going to be some 375 years of Roman rule. And what Rome said went. And there was no choice. There were no excuses. There was no way out. There was nothing that would give you an opportunity not to follow Roman edict. Because this was a decree. This wasn't like jury duty. Where you get a summons and unless you have a good excuse, you have to again. But a good excuse will get you out of it. This was mandate, pressure from an occupying foreign government. Now, according here to Luke chapter 2, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the adopted grandson of Julius Caesar. He was the one who was in control of Rome at this time. Historians agree that Caesar Augustus was one of the most successful Roman empires, emperors. He had great popularity. And he used his adopted grandfather's name to rally the army behind him. He brought peace and prosperity to the Roman Empire. Many of the provinces were governed with a heavy hand, and yet... Some of the local provinces had autonomy. That was somewhat true in Israel. As you look at the Roman government, you find out it, that it was indeed the Roman government that ruled the earth. From England, clear down around through France and Spain and Italy, Turkey, all the way down through Egypt and over to northern Africa. That was the Roman rule, and it was Caesar Augustus who was in control. A decree from Caesar Augustus. And the scripture tells us that Quirinius was governor of Syria at that time. Now, the Roman Empire was broken down into districts. And Israel was in the Syrian district. Today, you can look at a map and you can see the ge geography of what's going on. And so, Quirinius is identified as the governor of Syria. There is one more player in all of this. And we'll not take time this morning to go to Matthew's gospel and find out that there was Herod, the king. Herod was a brutal ruler. Herod was the one who destroyed the babies according to the timeline that the wise men had when they come, came seeking the one who was to be king of the Jews. Herod was ruthless. 
He would guard his kingdom with a heavy hand. And the Herodian kingdom was described as one ruled by a madman who murdered his own family as well as the rabbis of of Israel. Someone said it was the evil genius of the Judean nation that brought together Herod and the powerful Sanhedrin. This was the pressure. The pressure of that day, the pressure of the place called Bethlehem. But not only was there pressure, there was a longing for home. For the Jewish people, home is very important. Someone said, home is where the heart is. And most of us really look forward to getting home. As most of you know, Connie and I had the privilege just a couple of months ago to go to Hawaii. The paradise state. And it was not only a beautiful place, we were there with our grandsons. That made it better. But I'm telling you, after we drove in our driveway at 11266 three and a half mile road, Battle Creek, Michigan, it was good to be home. Now Mary and Joseph had traveled a long ways. As I said, it was a five or six day journey, a 70, 80 mile journey. And they traveled down from Nazareth, down the valley of the Jordan, going past Jericho through Jerusalem and to Bethlehem. And that was not an easy trip by any stretch of the imagination. They longed to be back with family and friends. Because now they were on their own, having to deal with the people and problems and pressures of of that day. I'm sure that in many ways they felt somewhat out of control. Do you ever feel that way when the government says something and you don't have any say with it? Has that happened to you recently in our culture? And yet here are Joseph and Mary. Mary just a very young woman, probably in her early teens. And Joseph, not much older than that, under the heavy hand of Rome, longing to be back with friends and family members. As you know, we have three children. Our oldest, Jill, was born in Quincy, Illinois. And when she was born, we were all by our lonesome. She was born on a Thursday. Took Connie to the hospital Wednesday night. And things finally got moving. And so our daughter was born Thursday morning at what time, honey? 10.14 a.m. You'd think I'd remember that. I do remember it was September 22nd. Now, the reason I remember it was a Thursday is because Thursday night was our bowling league night. 
My dear wife, after having given birth to our daughter, said to me, Tom, you ought to go bowling. And I, the good husband that I am, submitted. <laughs> but we didn't have any family come down at that point. Church family. We had one gal in our church in Quincy who had the reputation of being able to predict the gender of the child that was going to be born. And when it came across the radio station that the Townsends had given birth to a girl, she called the radio station and told them, no, that can't be right because they're going to have a boy. That's true. But here are Mary and Joseph by themselves waiting for the baby to come longing for home can you imagine the anxiety that that would give now we read here in our text in Luke 2 and you know the narrative there was no room for them in the inn They were placed where the animals were kept. Because you know the account. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him where? In a manger. Why? Because there was what? No room for them, no place for them. Can you imagine the anxiety that was going through their lives? Now, many times we sanitize the whole picture of the nativity, don't we? We, we have a, a beautiful picture where the shepherds come and, and pay tribute to the newborn king. And, and by the way, the shepherds were the lowest of life in culture. And it's interesting that God chose to reveal his son to them. Now, those of you who can see the picture on the screen, what's missing? Wise men, I heard somebody say it. You know why? They didn't show up yet. All right? I hate to bust your Christmas bubble. But we have a nativity in our lobby that is incorrect because it has wise men with Christ in a manger. The wise men came about two years later, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And they brought forth their gifts to him as they found him in a home. But we sanitize this whole thing. Isn't that a beautiful painting? Now the reality of where Jesus was born is more of a cave. Dark, dingy, unlit, full of stuff that would tell you animals had lived there. Did I say that okay, Dira? Okay. There was nothing clean about it. The swaddling clothes were the cleanest garments that Mary had to be able to wrap her child. 
and to be able to protect him in this world. One of my favorite Christmas songs was written by Mark Lowry. Mary, did you know? (laughs) You'll recall that it was an angel that said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. And you remember what Mary said? How can this be, seeing I never had a relationship with a man? You remember that it was an angel that said to Joseph, Don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine the anxiety that was going on in her life and mind and emotion as she took this child in this cave? Brought him forth. It was a place of great anxiety. But it was a place of confirmation. Joseph, call his name Jesus. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. Mary, call his name Jesus. For he will be great. He will be son of the most high God. He will sit upon the throne of his father David. To the shepherds on the hillside who came and worshipped. There's a savior born. And you'll find him. Lying in a manger. The confirmation. That his name would be called. Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. How often do we feel that God has forgotten us? How often do we feel that his promises are not being fulfilled in our lives? How often are we frustrated by the fact that we're here and God seems to be out there someplace? That may well have been how Joseph and Mary felt at this time. But the confirmation of what God is doing in their lives and through the life of this child was given to them by the angels and by the shepherds. And if we were to read the rest of the text, we would find that Mary took all these things and pondered them in her heart. And it was a place of entrance of the Incarnation. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This place called Bethlehem was where God chose for His Son to be made flesh. And it was that entrance the incarnation 
of a holy God taking on bodily form so that he could go to the cross and shed his blood in payment for our sins took place in Bethlehem. So why Bethlehem? Well, the prophets had foretold it. It was indeed a insignificant place. But it was there that the most significant event in history occurred. A place of pressure. Do you feel the Christmas pressure? Have your shopping done yet? I completed mine for Connie at Harbor Freight last week. You laugh, it's true. Oh, isn't she going to be surprised? She loves tools. It's not a tool. But the pressure that we feel, many times because of our places and our circumstances and our stuff, was taken care of at Bethlehem where God sent forth His Son to redeem you and to redeem me so that we might receive the adoption of sons. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for the Christmas narrative. We thank You for the Old Testament prophet that said that in the midst of the struggle and the battle, in the midst of occupation by foreign entities, there would be a ruler who would come forth. I pray, Father, that that ruler would rule our lives today and that the entrance of Your Son, Jesus Christ, would minister to us and encourage us and help us to sharpen our focus even in the midst of all the pressures that we face. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your love given to us through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.